We wrap up our sermon series, God's Design, and we've saved the best for last. For today, we talk about God's design for his bride, the church of Jesus Christ. There are a number of passages we could have looked at this morning to talk about God's design for the church, but we're going to look at Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, what is known as the Great Commission. The Great Commission is far from hidden in the Word of God. It's recorded five times, four times in the Gospels, and one time in the book of Acts. Why are we doing a series called God's Design? Because you could boil down every design and every philosophy and worldview to ultimately two. There's the design of the world, and there's the design of God. And all throughout human history, these two designs are in a collision course. And we need the church to understand what it means to advance, affirm, and to champion God's design for all things, and in particular, the design for his bride, the church of Jesus Christ. The church of Jesus Christ is an earthly mirror of Christ's kingdom, an earthly mirror of the new creation marked by both word and sacrament. Matthew 28, verse 16 through 20, the Great Commission. Now the eleven went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw them, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all You notice the all, all authority, all nations, all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. The grass withers and the flower fades, but know not the word of our Lord. It stands forever. Amen. You may be seated. Those that have played golf before might appreciate this illustration. If you go to a driving range, you could spend five minutes driving balls or an hour, but at some point on the driving range, you convince yourself that you're ready for the PGA Tour. I mean, you're just nailing it. And you convince yourself that you've got it, that you have everything it takes to be a professional golfer. And then you get to the first tee box and you shank it right into the water. You know, there's a lot of churches like this that think they are nailing it, and they have great programs and great initiatives, and they think they are on mission as a church, but in reality, they couldn't be further from what Christ has commanded his church to be and further from what he has commanded his church to do. If there was ever a time where we needed to be reminded of God's design for his church, it is today. The culture is a mess. But one of the biggest reasons the culture is a mess is because the church is a mess. And we desperately need to embrace and advance and be reminded of God's design for his bride, a mighty fortress. I want us to look briefly by studying the Great Commission, a cosmic authority, 
a cosmic mission and a cosmic promise that he has given Jesus to the church. First, a cosmic authority. Verse 18, Jesus makes the most audacious of statements. He says, all authority in heaven and all authority on earth has been given to me. Only Jesus can make a claim like this. And the reason he makes this claim, because he alone is the sovereign head of the church and the universe. I think it's important that before we get to the actual imperative of the mission, Jesus gives us an affirmation. Before Jesus tells us what to do, Jesus tells us who he is. So the Great Commission begins with this incredible affirmation, the cosmic authority of Jesus Christ. All authority in heaven above and on earth below has been granted unto me. Now, nobody in their right mind has ever made this claim. Now, sure, there have been leaders that have claimed to have all earthly authority and all earthly power, but nobody in their right mind has ever made the claim that they have all universal cosmic authority in heaven above and on earth below. And that is what sets apart Jesus Christ and Christianity over and against every world religion and every worldview. You can search every world religion. You can search the leaders of all those religions. You can search the leaders and the proponents of every other worldview and every other philosophy from Islam to Buddhism to Marxism, and you will never find a world leader that claims to have all heavenly authority and all earthly authority. And that is what sets Jesus Christ and Christianity apart from any other religion and any other worldview. You see, Jesus is using royal language here. He's speaking as if he were the king because he is. That's why we can call the Great Commission the Kingdom Commission. It is the king speaking to his royal subjects concerning their royal mission. But it is in light of the kingdom authority that Jesus has. Jesus, by way of his resurrection, is the first fruits of the new creation. Through the resurrection, we believe it is the dawn of new creation and the inauguration of a new order, a new reign and rule of King Jesus. It is not the perfect expression of the kingdom, but it is a genuine expression of the kingdom. And it is Jesus's way of saying that I have come to not only have authority over spiritual things, I've come to not only have authority over believers, I've come to not only have authority over heaven, but over heaven and on earth. I am the cosmic king. It means that the authority, all authority, does not rest with Joe Biden or Vladimir Putin. It means that cosmic authority does not rest with Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos. It means that all cosmic authority does not rest with the World Economic Forum or the World Health Organization, but that sovereign authority belongs to one, and his name is Jesus. He is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, head of the church, and the cosmic ruler of the nations. Amen. 
This is the only explanation for why Christianity turned the world upside down 2,000 years ago. Because they didn't see Jesus as simply the one who reigns and rules over the spiritual realm, but over all things, over every domain, over every government, over every nation, over every culture. Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. That's why Psalm 2 says, Why do the nations rage and plot against God? the designer of the universe, and what does the king do? He sits on his throne and he laughs at anyone that would try to usurp his authority in heaven or usurp his authority here on earth. The church is designed with one leader and king, and his name is Jesus. It is a cosmic authority. Secondly, we're told that the church has a cosmic mission. Verse 19, it says, this is the mission, go, Go, therefore, and make disciples of the nations. You would think that Jesus, after claiming cosmic authority, would then explain, this is now what I've come to do. But he doesn't. He says, this is what you're going to do. That's the reason for the therefore. The therefore is there for a reason. In light of my cosmic authority, this authority will be given to you to go and preach the gospel. It's a call to evangelism to make disciples, image bearers of the Son of God, of every tongue, tribe, and nation. But it's in light of the authority of King Jesus to go tell the world the good news that although you were afar off and seemingly unfixable because of your sin, there is a king that has come into the world to make all wrongs right. And to reconcile you to God, this is the good news that we proclaim to the nations. Because Jesus is king, king over heaven and on earth, how in the world would the world hear about the kingdom of God and the lordship of Jesus Christ if we don't go out and tell the world about him? If he is truly the cosmic king, how in the world could we keep this truth to ourselves? We have a story to tell to the nations A story that will turn their hearts to the right. And if Jesus is going to reign where'er the sun, how in the world will they know that Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords? How will they know to pay homage and bend the knee to Jesus if we, the church, don't go and make disciples of the nations? Now, often you will hear this from opponents of Christianity, opponents of the gospel. They will say, what right do you have to go into another nation and interfere with their religion? What right do you have to impose your beliefs and your Christianity into other cultures of the world? What right do you have to stand up against a godless agenda and tell the next generation that there is salvation There there is no salvation apart from Jesus Christ alone. What right do you have as a Christian to do that? And this is what you tell the world, that we come in the name of the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. That is the right that we have to tell the nations of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But how does this happen? How are disciples made? Not just by witnessing to them. Well, it tells us in verse 19. Disciples are made through baptism first, and secondly, through teaching them all that I've commanded. Verse 19, it says, now that you've become a disciple, go get baptized. 
Now, I'm not going to talk about mode and timing. That's for another sermon. But one thing Baptists and Presbyterians can agree upon is that there's nothing private about baptism. The first step, once you have become a Christian, is to make a public profession of faith. That's what baptism meant to the first generation Christians. Go and be public about this truth. Don't be private. Be public. And the problem is we have too many Christians in the North American church that don't want to tell the world about their salvation. The question is, would your neighbor know that you are saved? Would your friends and your coworkers know that you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ? Would they know? Have you made a public profession so that the whole world might know about the good news of Jesus Christ? First, we make a public profession. Secondly, verse 20, a disciple understands that they are to be taught everything, taught to obey. What does it say in 20? everything, all that I have commanded. The call to discipleship is to not just receive Jesus as Savior, but to receive him as Lord. See, the goal is not make new converts. The goal is make disciples. And a disciple is made by the whole counsel of God. We need the whole Bible to make whole disciples. It means a disciple of Jesus Christ cannot cherry pick what they believe and what they hold on to. They can't say, I like this verse here, but I don't like that verse there. I'm uncomfortable with that truth, but I'll adhere and embrace this truth over there. They embrace the whole counsel of God. Jesus has given his church the whole counsel, a whole counsel that is framed by the lordship of Jesus Christ to obey every word of it. In the face of postmodernism and post-Christianity, do we divert from the word of God? No. Because what does Jesus say? To the end of the age. This is the word that is preached and is taught. Jesus has given his church a word that is relevant to all of life. He's not just authority over us spiritually, but he has given us a whole counsel so that every thought may be made captive to God. He's given us a cosmic authority. He's given the church a cosmic mission so that the whole nations, all of the nations, might be obedient to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ through the whole counsel of the word of truth. And third and lastly, Jesus has given us a cosmic promise. Only Jesus can make the promise that he made at the very end of the Great Commission, at the end of verse 20, he says, And behold, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. I mentioned earlier that the Great Commission begins with an affirmation, but it also ends with an affirmation. The Great Commission is sandwiched in between these two glorious affirmations. First affirmation, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Second affirmation, and lo, I am with you to the end of the age. This should produce in the church an extreme humility that there is nothing that we can do apart from the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is with us in our moments that we want to cower, in our moments that we don't want to speak the truth, in the moments that we don't want to stand up for what is right. Jesus is with us. How long? To the end of the age. It means that we don't, do not chart another course that we don't pave another path, 
that we don't embrace the philosophies of this world, that when we face challenges in our culture, that we go back to the very word of God, that Jesus comes to us through the word of God, that he is the truth made flesh. And we give the world in the 21st century the one thing, the only thing, the only power that has the power to transform sinners into states, the uh, saints, the only thing that has the power to transform nations, cultures, and societies, we give them the unfiltered, unwatered down word of truth from beginning to end because Jesus says this is the answer to the very end of the age so we can stand firm knowing that we have a mission and a message that is relevant to all of life to every sphere of culture, and to every domain of this universe. And when we proclaim this message, the whole counsel of God, we need to be reminded that we are inviting. It is an inviting message. The message for the nations is this, that you can come, that you can find salvation, that you can find reconciliation and redemption and forgiveness uh, from your sins and invite them to experience the presence of God. Because the Bible tells us this, because of sin, we don't naturally have the presence of God. That the only way we can have the presence of God till the very end of the age is through Jesus Christ, who came into this world, who took on our sin, and by way of the cross and resurrection, made a pathway towards God, back to God, reconciled with the God that we have been separated from, that a holy God can be reconciled to unholy people like us by way of the cross because the story of the gospel is this, that the king came into this world not to destroy the rebel, but so that the rebel might be saved. And I've said it before and I'll say it again, there is a season, an age we live in, that there is a season of amnesty where the rebel can come home by faith alone, by grace alone, according to the finished work of Jesus Christ alone. And so the invitation this morning to those that have never surrendered their life to King Jesus is would you come, repent, believe, and be saved. Be saved by the name that is above all names. Be saved by the only one that can rescue you from death the only one that offers full forgiveness of sins, and you say to me, maybe today, but pastor, Christianity in the church is for perfect people. No, the opposite, or I wouldn't be here. The church is for broken sinners like you and me, people that renounce their self-sufficiency, that renounce their self-righteousness, and renounce their self-sovereignty, and they look upon Jesus Christ alone for salvation. That's what the church is for, and that is the Christian message that we proclaim every Sunday here at Coral Ridge. And it's the invitation today for you wherever you are to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And believe it in your heart that God raised him from the dead. This is the message and the mission of the church of Jesus Christ. So what's the call to action briefly for us today? First, the Great Commission is nothing short of a call to evangelism. It is a story that we have to tell to who? To the nations. And so I want you to practically think about three people this week. Three people 
that you will witness to and bring to church and share the gospel with. Three people in between today and the end of the year that you will bring. And no, the Christmas concert doesn't count. But three people that will come to church and that you will share the gospel with. Three people in your life. Call to Evangelum also means that you'll be a part of EE when it relaunches in the fall. If you have never been a part of Evangelism Explosion, learning how to share the gospel with your neighbor and your family and your friends, you will commit this semester, this upcoming fall semester, to be a part of the ministry of Evangelism Explosion. But the Great Commission is a call to evangelism. Secondly, it's a call to discipleship. We need to remember our vows as a people of God. We have been called to surrender our entire lives under the authority of God's word. That means we grow in God's grace, that we find ways to serve. We plug into the church beyond Sunday morning. When you took your vows, you promised to support the church in all of its various ministries and that you would surrender your life to the authority of God's word. Have you submitted your life? The call of discipleship is to submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you surrendered? I'm not talking about have you become a convert. Have you become a disciple? Have you surrendered your entire life, private and public, your family, your marriage, your kids, your sexuality, your finances, your business, your voting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Because I'll say it again, it takes the whole Bible to make a whole disciple. It's a call to evangelism. It's a call to discipleship. Lastly, we need to stop treating the church like a social club and another nonprofit. He hasn't built a social club he hasn't built another nonprofit. He's built his church. And it's a picture of the kingdom of God. So that when we are a part of the church, we are part of kingdom work. And that means that we have an obligation to rid the church of the unhealthy, unbiblical, neoplatonic, secular, sacred divide that says the church has nothing to do with the physical, material world, that the church has nothing to speak about concerning the culture. And if you are here and you desire for a church to disengage with culture and not speak to every area of life, fine. But by all means, do not claim the lordship of Jesus Christ because that Jesus is Lord of nothing. But if he is Lord, he is Lord of all. May this be the Jesus that we are declaring and demonstrating to a hopeless world. Embracing the calling of the church. Listen to me, the world is on fire, but we have the answer. And the hope of the world is the church of Jesus Christ. A few weeks ago, many of you heard that we lost a giant in the faith, Dr. Harry Reeder. Harry Reeder was just here a few months ago speaking at our Kingdom Come conference. He was the pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church, founding church in our denomination. He was my pastor and my mentor and my friend. And as it was said in his funeral, the oak has truly fallen. Harry Reader loved military strategy and talking about battles and wars. And one of the things he would often talk about in military strategy when there were troops that were under fire, it was customary for them to go up to the individual that was under fire and ask two questions. One... Are you shot? And if you were shot, the second question would be, are you still in the fight? Church of Jesus Christ, we've been shot. 
And when you turn on the news, it sure seems like the church is losing. But have no fear because Jesus himself says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. This is the story of the church for 2,000 years. We get shot, but we keep marching on. Amen? So as Harry would say, and only the way he could say it, he would say, brother and sister, are you still in the fight? Then let's bear down, double down, and keep on keeping on. Because this is the calling of the church throughout centuries, that with the cosmic authority of Jesus Christ, with the cosmic mission and with the cosmic promise of the Lord being with us to the very end of the age, may we present to the world a countercultural design for the hope of the world and the advancement of the kingdom. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, Lord, I thank you that you have not left us by ourselves to navigate this world on our own, but you have given us a community of believers, a mighty fortress, a royal priesthood, a kingdom that will have no end. Armed with the gospel, may we go out like a mighty army, understanding that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it is a spiritual battle where we claim and declare to kings and presidents, nations and rulers, civil magistrates, moms and dads, business owners, rich and poor, young and old, that salvation is found nowhere else than the Lord Jesus Christ. May this be our story that we tell to the nations. And if there is anyone here that has never surrendered their life to the Lord Jesus Christ, to his call to come and be saved, may this be the day. If you're sitting here today or watching at home, this is a call to you to come home. Sinner, come home. Repent and be saved. Receive Jesus as Savior and trust in him as Lord. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe it in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And this is the promise. You will be saved and experience life to the full, both now and forever, and be a part of the greatest movement the world has ever seen. The church of Jesus Christ, a beacon of hope, the salt of the earth, the light of the world, a city on a hill whose light will never go out. By your grace and for your glory, we pray this prayer. Amen.